Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans each week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. Writer, player of games, writer of words, recorded videos, and tabletop role playing aficionado. Welcome to my weekly behind the scenes DM only live stream, Crafting Icewind Dale, in which I build right and prepare for our next session of Prime of the Frost Maiden. If you are playing characters of all Robin, Frey, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed, you have stumbled into the wrong stream. Please turn back now and egress. But for the rest of you, welcome. Warning there will be lots of spoilers here. Stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday evening. You can watch all of our D&D live series as well as reviews and Let's Plays on my YouTube channel and every weekly session recaps at RogueWatson.com. Follow me on Twitter at RogueWatson. Join our official Discord server. The invite link in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out Patreon.com slash RogueWatson. Shout out to new patron this week, Alexander. Thank you for your support. For our campaign, we use Roll20.net for streaming. I use open broadcaster software with Streamlabs. So, we could discuss more of the Dwerger outpost, since we're still there. I didn't expect this area to take, um, well, area. I guess it's the entire quest, right? Because Karakonic took up a whole session, and then we spent another session uh, getting, really interrogating the Dwerger, and then getting to the entrance, and a session of fighting... Nildar, and then uh, I managed to escape with Nildar, which was really fun. Thank you for the players for allowing that to happen. Which means the players did make it all the way to the boss uh, and take him out. And I, you know, tried to run as best as I could while still giving the players uh, their reward for being tactically sound, which is basically casting fi uh, Fairy Fire on somebody who goes invisible, which is a great freaking move. Fairy Fire, very underrated spell, by the way. Uh, really one of those spells that you should always have in your toolkit if you have a spellcaster. Uh, for that reason, if anything, just it negates invisibility quite well if it lands. Um, but I was able to escape with him because uh, with minus a few fingers, and I'm thinking the best course of action would be to uh, have him not appear until probably Sunblight, uh, even though the players could be harassed by Dwerger in Cardinaval and then again in East Haven, which... I guess we'll see if I want to move Nildar any of those locations or to have him retreat all the way back to Sunblight, knowing that this fortress has fallen. By the way, hello, Nathan uh, and Stan and Shifty. Thank you for joining me in the chat. Um, so we still have the rest of this dungeon to actually explore. I managed to, you know, we had a nice little combat session with the Ogre Zombie and some Dwargar. 
Uh, Frey tanks like a champ, although the players have been using their things quite a bit. Key points and uh, Bardic Inspirations and a few spell slots here and there. So, you know, it's, it's not a huge dungeon. We're still generally in, uh, you know, we're obviously very much in Chapter 1. And most of these dungeons, you know, unfortunately, this entire chapter scales from, like, what, chapter or level 1 through 4? And there's a really big difference between a level 1 party and a level 4 party. So a lot of the scale, and none of the dungeons say, like, this is balanced for level 2, this is balanced for level 4. It's really up to the DM to try to look and see what the enemies are and what the DCs are, what the combat is, and just try and make adjustments from there. So in general, in this one, I kept it mostly the same, but I think I added a few Dwergar, and um, I obviously made Nildar stronger, although it didn't really matter too much because they managed to find him by themselves. Um, and I did add a Dwergar, uh, whatever that one is called in here, the Mind Mage or something. So they still have really half of this dungeon to go. They, yeah, I mean, if they want to keep up with him, they could. Um, what I'm going to do, because he escaped in the middle of combat and the party... Um, they could choose to chase after him, but I'm also kind of hoping they choose to immediately short rest. Like, Frey is in bad shape. Um, I think Celeste used most of her key points. Like, they are in need of a short rest, which... This is still a hostile dungeon, but I like the idea that the short rest is what you do in dungeons. Like you, and and we still play the the an hour short rest, but we kind of play fast and loose with that anyway. Generally, I'm okay with short resting without any real consequences because I think that's kind of the point of the short rest. Uh, that being said, if they're literally in the middle of like you've sounded an alarm, then you probably need to at least get to a safe place. But I could, for example, see them like retreating back to Nildar's room and short resting. Now, that does mean that. Most likely, everybody in here is ready for combat. So what I'm probably going to do is... In fact, we're going to do that here in this crafting episode. But set up a scenario so that the Dwergar are prepared for intruders. And essentially, we're going to turn this area into a big uh, an, an, another big combat encounter. Instead of it being like a room-to-room -room thing, it's basically going to be one giant combat encounter, which will probably dominate uh, our session tomorrow so assuming they now if they want if they don't do the short rest and they want to try to chase after nildar i believe what's going to happen is because if you look and see this has a couple different escape paths first of all um a small person could technically escape through here i think they have to bend the bars which isn't probably doable instead they have an escape patch that goes to the bunker and i believe you could have a small person uh, squeeze through the bunker holes here. Uh, I could at least rule that you could. Um, or maybe there's some kind of hidden trapdoor, like whatever, DM magic, I could do that. In any case, Nildar will be able to escape, and I'm probably just going to write this Dwergar off, and that'll be my excuse of, like, that's the Dwergar that helps him, like, escape into the, you know, tundra, essentially, and, and get the hell out of here. So uh, if they leave, they can leave out the front door, assuming they take out all the ones in the uh, mushroom field and i don't think i'll harass them because they'll be escaped that now if they want to follow up and explore this eastern half that's what they're going to find they're going to find some of the supplies that the dwerger have stolen they're going to find this tunnel exit um i could even play fast and loose with it and say that okay there's th this is like a, literally an escape tunnel also like there's multiple tunnels that let go out deep into the underdark or not into the underdark but you know, they, they go out for, like, miles and exit, like, multiple paths and all that. So that that way I can explain to the players, if they see that, like, oh, well, he must have escaped through here and there's, like, just no chance of getting to him. 
Uh, or I leave it as is and just have the one tunnel go to the bunker and just have this bunker now be uh, empty, which I guess they didn't know it was empty before, did they? Because they never did trigger it, so that could be not necessarily a clue for them. But either way, I would like for Nildar to escape, be gone, and then I've got a really fun chance to reuse a villain, which is always one of the most enjoyable things you can do D&D, and also one of the more difficult things, because players are typically so good at killing things, or, you know, in other words, taking them down, locking them down with spells. It's very hard to escape if you don't have some kind of bullshit, bullshit escape tools, which Dwergar do. They can turn invisible. Unfortunately, uh, they can only do it once per short rest, logically, so if they do decide to chase after him, I'm going to have him be... Um, Having been escaped, but, uh, you know, they'll be... Hopefully I'll make it more of a satisfying escape and not a, oh, well, I guess we couldn't have caught him. If they short rest, then it makes more sense why they can't catch him because he gets his invisibility back and they can be long gone uh, from there. And I kind of expect them to short rest. This is going to be balanced for if they short rest. Now, I will not let them long rest in this dungeon. I just won't let it. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, but what I'd like to do is set up a scenario here. So instead of having... They did see the one guard in the bunker. Okay. I wasn't sure about that, but thank you for reminding me. Because um, as written, these we're going to have these doors be open. We're, we're going to open these doors now because essentially this place is on alert. But they also know the best thing for them to do is just to defend this area, defend these mushroom fields. So I, I did have my initial scenario was the players open the door. They see this Dwerger like harvesting mushrooms and putting it in a jar and all that. That's not going to be the case right now because... They have essentially alerted that, that that would have been the scenario had they gone south first and that would have been the okay now we're triggering the alarm and all that happens but since they already technically triggered the alarm or in other words put this place on high alert uh instead these dwerger are going to be prepared and the way they can prepare is we're going to have this one be uh actually it could just step back does he i think he only sleep is the only spell that actually matters for this guy dwerger dark half that's what it is i don't know where i got mind mage from um it can cast disguise self that could be kind of fun if we use disguise self and have him appear as like a prisoner i don't know if the dwerger would actually hmm they would actually be that deceptive, though. I mean, the charisma's terrible. I don't see them necessarily doing that. I wonder why, what do they use disguise self for? I see them as using this. I mean, they've got invisibility. Why would you have to disguise yourself if you have invisibility? Anyway, sleep um, is really only going to be handy if the players are already injured, but it's something to keep in mind. But we're going to move these two Dwergar up. And uh, similar to the other room, I increased the number of Dwergar just by one. It's not a big deal. Um, and what's going to happen is this door, you know, they can open the door. There's going to be masks outside, which will clue the players in that this is kind of a dangerous area. And then when they make it inside, they can see all these kind of doors. They can see the mushrooms and they can kind of put two and two together. This is where, uh, Nildar has been harvesting his mushrooms. I, you know, I didn't have a rule for if the players want to try and make more of those jars. They rolled so bad on looting um, for Nildar's jars, which I had planned as, like, kind of consumable grenades that they could, you know, use. Uh, maybe if they were, if they rolled particularly well enough, you know, after the fight, I could have them make some more, possibly. Um, I should make some notes for that. But uh, these guys are going to be invisible, obviously, so they can start invisible. Put them all on the GM layer. 
And as soon as the players make it, you know, halfway into this room, of course, um, they're going to see a lever get pulled. Or maybe they won't see it. I don't know. Maybe it's around the corner. Um, or we, we could go ahead and put them. You know, somebody like... I don't know where the lever would be, but... Uh, and maybe down here. Uh, anyway, all the doors open and then out shuffles all of these Spore Servants. Now, unfortunately, the Spore Servant stat block is really shitty. Um, I did reuse the, or I, I used a new token because it was a really bad, like, token of a generic, like, commoner. Uh, weirdly enough, they just use whatever, they're not really zombies at all. They're just kind of crappy versions of whatever they were before, which in this case, I'm supposed to use the Tribal Warrior stat block, which is only a CR 1-8, which is, uh, the weakest, like, combatant you can use. They have one attack, it's a, they wield their spear... And they only have like 11 hit points. So I'm really kind of disappointed. Even though, it, you know, there's kind of a bunch of them here. Uh, they're just real shitty. So I don't know if there's a better stat block that you all could recommend that I could use for these kind of plant zombies. Um, I know that in Tomb of Annihilation we used... Um, let's see if I can go... Uh, something called a... I believe it was like a yellow musk zombie or something. And I think that worked out a little better. But I'd have to go back to that one. There's another kind of plant that turned uh, creatures into zombies. We had that as a random encounter in Tomb of Annihilation. Looking up that stat block now if I can. Kind of disappointed with this one. Yellow Musk Zombie. So that one was considered... And what's interesting is these are considered plants, so they don't have the Undead Fortitude. Um, the Yellow Musk, Yellow Musk Zombie, by the way, had an AC of 9 because it had that shitty uh, zom uh, the zombie armor class. But it had... 33 average hit points, so three times the hit points as this thing, uh, plus three to hit, which is about the same, and dealt, uh, just had the generic slam damage, which is 1d8 plus one, which would be, I guess you could use this spear two-handed as their attacks, that'd be kind of the same thing, so I guess the difference is I just don't feel like they have very many hit points. Red Brands is pretty similar, isn't it? Isn't that just the... SCR one half. 16 hit points. That's a little bit better. They do have better armor class. Yeah, I'm okay with not giving them um, Undead Fortitude. Ash Zombie has 22 hit points. Yeah, that's better. Alright, I'm thinking about just giving them more hit points. Ooh, I do like this. That's a good idea. Spore Cloud on a hit. Uh, let's see, because the Ash Puff is the first time the zombie takes damage. Any living creature within five... Which, by the way, how often does wizards do that, where they just create, like, variants? I feel like I don't see that very often. Uh, like, I mean, there's, like, a snowy owl bear here, but I don't think that does anything different. Uh, let's see, any living creature within five feet of the zombie must succeed in a DC 10 con, con saving throw or gain disadvantage on attack rolls, saving throws, and ability checks for one minute. So essentially you have the poison condition. Uh, that's not a bad thing to add here. Let's see, because in this room I have... Um, dude, I need to have my notes open. Eric, what are you doing? Um, this whole area was supposed to trigger... Uh, deck saves or con saves 
based on if they move around. But technically, they don't necessarily have to move around in combat that much, in theory. Let's see, where's, what room is this? This is 07. Uh, so when walking through the room, you have to make an acrobatics check. I put the DC at 15, which is might be too high. Upon a failure, you roll a 1d4. So whenever you walk, whether it's in combat or out of combat, you have to roll. A, you have to make the acrobatics check, and if you fail, you roll a 1d4. You roll a 1, I think I talked about this last time. Um, I use the Violet Fungus. Um, attacks, it's only a plus 2 to attack, deals 1d8 necrotic damage. If it's a 2 or a 3, it's essentially one of those Myconid Sovereign attacks where either a, um, a spore explodes, people have to make a deck save or do that acid damage per turn, or it's a, uh, a mushroom fires a slingshot spores in your face, make a DC 11 con save, or become poisoned for one minute. And repeat the save at the end of each turn. So I've already got a point. So basically, that's an interesting idea, but the, the environment itself also triggers these things for happening. So that'd be pretty crazy if you had to do it like uh, whenever you attacked... But I could, was it every time the zombie, the first time the zombie, Ash Zombie is only the first time it takes damage, by the way, also, which is interesting. Um, so I, I'm, maybe I'll just add more hit points to them. I could add another D8 of hit points, and I think that would make me feel a little bit better. Maybe it'll make this thing too difficult. But essentially, I'll be using the same stat block. They've got blind sight, which they're blind beyond 30 feet, which is interesting. Okay, so make sure to trigger it when they're in the middle of the room, and they should all shuffle over there. Notice how I do have a Quagos Boar Serpent, though. That is just, like, one that they took from, uh, you know, the Sunblight. Uh, and I don't have a different icon for it, but essentially it's got the fungus growing out of it. And it has more hit points and has a claw attack, which it can do twice. It's kind of like the boss of the Spore Servants. So I don't know. Maybe I'm think overthinking it too much where I should add more hit points to these things. Um, I just think it'd be fun to have them crawling around. Maybe if there's a couple of them, I could add one in here, for example. I could just add more Spore Servants. But the thing is, the Dwergar, um, they do... Let's see. Do I want to... I want to make it so the Spore Servants are controlled by the Dwergar. Because that was the whole idea behind this thing. So I could have the Dwergar join the fight. But they would still be susceptible to this area. So I would not want them to engage in melee. But they could stand back and do range attacks. Which, uh, they do have heavy crossbows. They really suck with them. They only have a plus two. Um, and don't have any dexterity. Or they could hurl javelins. Uh, if you're within 30 feet, otherwise they have disadvantage, which, let's see, it's plus four, or is it normal sized range? About this, actually averages up to about the same damage, so not that big of, big of a deal. But if they stand right there at the edge, they should be able to just hurl javelin. So, the, the cool thing I'm trying to set up is, they come into this room, um, you know, hopefully they are, uh, coming into the room. <laughs> I don't mean they could stand back and they I don't know if they have a whole lot of like a mage hands I can be able to open the door like you know I expect them to be able to start walking in here. Um they'll have to make the acrobatics check to start avoiding things. I'm going to let them creep around a little bit and then 
I'm going to uh, have one of the invisible Dwergar pull a lever, which will open all of the doors and immediately trigger combat. Um, probably a surprise round, because obviously the Dwergar are invisible, and this would be pretty surprising for everybody. May I don't mm, Maybe I wouldn't be able to get the Spore Servants a surprise round, because the doors are just opening for them also, but the Dwergar should be able to get a surprise round for sure. Uh, which means I can have that. I can have one of their... Although we, we'd establish, like, a, pulling a lever would be a free action, so we could still... Well, I guess you just throw a javelin. Wish you had just one other cool spell, man. I mean, I could just give him a fucking spell. <laughs> Sleep is just not going to be very effective on these players. Uh, assuming they short rest, um, it only does 5d8 worth of hit points, which at their level is going to be an average of what? 20. Uh, unless I, which it, what, it goes from the lowest one, which their lowest hit point person is Edmund at 23. So if I roll well, there's a chance I could knock somebody unconscious. Not the most exciting, uh, use of that, though. But I, obviously I could just give them custom spells, too. Yes, yeah, so, um, there will be, uh, Jordan, um, hanging outside, I forgot to mention that actually, hanging outside of this room, which is going to tease the fact of what's in this room, and the fact that the Dwergar do, uh, wear those masks when they're in here, um, are going to be, um, basically, like, the fantasy equivalent of gas masks, like, I don't know, is that like a Plague Doctor mask, or what does that look like, um, where they are wearing some kind of facial covering when dealing with these mushrooms, when they're in this room. And that'll be a fun way to tease, like, what's in here, because there'll be, like, warnings and stuff outside. Um, so the Dwergar will be wearing this, which means I guess they could wade in here and fight. Um, and and what's interesting is if the Dwergar, um, you know, set off the mushrooms, a lot of them are AoE attacks, so that could fuck up everybody. Um, but yes, they will. I should mention that. There will be... Which, how many do you think? I was going to have some masks, like, hanging outside for... for uh, uh, the players to use, and then some of there'll be like empty hooks, as obviously the Dwerg are using them as well. Um, I haven't determined how many masks I should have. I was originally just gonna have a single mask hanging from a hook, but maybe I'll have two, and then if they're smart, they'll give that to you know the melee fighters. But yes, that will give you advantage on all this stuff if you've got the mask on. I figure that's just the easiest way to rule, just advantage. Um, all right, so what are we saying? The mind, mind master. Are there four Mind Master stat blocks? Mind Master looks creepy as shit. Why do you have like a skull mask? What do you have, Mind Master? Mind Master doesn't actually have any spells. Has a Mind Poison Dagger. Use of Mind Mastery. Uh, Dwerger targets one creature can see within 60 feet of it. The target must succeed in a DC 12 intelligence saving throw, or the Dwerger causes it to use its reaction either to make one weapon attack against another creature the Dwerger can see or move up to 10 feet in a direction of Dwerger's choice. Both of those would be amazing because I could force somebody to move into the mushroom fields. Ooh. Okay, okay. Maybe I'll just replace this with a mine. What CR are you? CR 2. Okay. Got more hit points than our dark half friends. Okay, maybe I'll make you like a second boss. Poison resistance, which I think all the Dwerger have that. 
Well, I'm kind of liking that idea then. Mind Poison Dagger. Is that just a weapon he has? And then the weird thing is he doesn't enlarge, he reduces. While reduced, the Dwarger is tiny. Reduces weapon damage to one and makes attacks, checks, and saving spells with disadvantage. They use strength, but it gains a plus five bonus to its AC. It was designed to like sit in the back, tiny up, and then just fire off these abilities. That Mind Master sounds amazing. DC 12 Intelligence Saving Throw. Hello, we have a Barbarian. Like, I could absolutely take advantage of that. You might have won me with that one. No fun. It is a fun ability. Not even technically a spell, either. Doesn't say it's a spell. Is this Mind Poison Dagger, like, a lootable item? Or is this just something that he's, like, done to this dagger? 3d6 psychic damage is no joke. You know what I could do is leave it up to the dice. I could also say, uh, I could have the party, I could just have them roll a 1d4. Um, I, you know what I could do? I could do a 1d4 minus 1. So that way there are 0 to 3 masks available for the party. And then depending on how they roll, that's how many masks are there. I actually kind of like that idea of leaving it up to the the dice, and then it's kind of out of my hands a little bit. <laughs> I want to make a note about 1d4 minus 1 masks. <laughs> so you could find 0. I like that. Where are mind master, though? I think I might have to use him. Because I don't have to use the mage hand thing anymore. Do you not have an image? A bitch. What? It's got a token right there. Why is it not using the token? You... Oh. I have to re-manually put this token in here. Let's see, where is it? Dwarger Mind Master. Oh my goodness. Okay. Uh, well, let's. We'll keep the. We'll keep this token then. Just point that to the. So we can do this. You are gonna represent a Dwarger Mind Master. Done and done. <laughs> Simple as that. All right. Which means we need to roll hit points for you. See if my thing works. Does not. We have to redo my API. Let's just do it manually. I need to check that every time, by the way. And I'll start restarting this thing. 68 plus 12 is a bunch. 46. Holy crap on a cracker. Whisper rolls. Oof. Oof. That is, that is a, this is going to be a no-joke fucking fight right here. <laughs> Which is weird that we had the, the actual, you know, boss fight didn't amount to anything, but this is like the rest of the Dwergar forces. Alright, well, since I'm using him, I don't feel bad, or I don't feel the need to, uh, up the hit points of these poor servants anymore. <laughs> but I think this will be plenty. So during the surprise round, um, I think these guys will pop out... We can have this dude um, 
use a free action to open the cells, which will add everybody else to the initiative order, and then he can use his action to use Mind Mastery. Um, obviously trying to target Frey and get her to either move into the mushrooms if she's not in there already, or have her use a reaction to make a weapon attack against another creature you can see. It's amazing. And then the other warrior can either... And I'm going to make it so that they're all masked up, too. Um, I guess they would be... I don't know. Well, yeah, there'd be masks hanging on both ends, wouldn't there be? It's weird there's no door here. I should put a door, right? Especially since I changed this area around. So let's put a door here. No reason this mushroom area should be freaking... needs to be sealed off. <laughs> put it like... I guess the door would be this way. Realize this is just an open hallway right here. It doesn't make any sense with the way I've done this room. Alright, but that would obviously be uh, open. Which might be the clue that there's enemies there, though, if they've got this door open. Oh well, I think that's still what I'm gonna do. The door's open. Probably gonna be levers just inside. In theory, I should put a lever like here, but I don't want the players to be able to just close this shit up immediately. <laughs> We're just gonna leave the lever right here. And we'll have these two Dwerger. Uh, probably just hucking javelins from here. And this guy uses action to do the lever. He'll move back behind, or maybe he'll cast his thing, and then move back behind the Dwerger. And then that should start this big old fight. And what's interesting is the players will be able to see um, the prisoners in some of these doors, which will be Trovis and Ali. And I think I was going to have them both be affected by um, the infestation spores. Maybe they were in the process of turning into these fungal spore servants. But it takes like three days and three con failures in a row. Um, I think I would like the players to be able to reverse that process if they spend appropriate checks or spells to do that. I'm thinking Trovis would probably recover on his own because he's a you know retired adventurer and actually has decent uh, con saves with plus two. Uh, but maybe Ali would um, succumb to it eventually if they don't do anything. So I would allow, like, not even with a medicine check, you have to see that they're suffering some some of these fungus things, but maybe with a medicine check, or whatever, let's see, what does it take to look up what a myconid is? A myconid's a plant. It is plant. So what are our house rules? Because it'd probably be the same thing for determining, like, what's wrong with this person? Yes, Dwerger can go invisible. I am fully aware of that. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Examining a creature. Plant is a nature check. So maybe I'd allow a medicine check or a nature check to be able to identify the infestation spores and the fact that both of them are suffering from that condition. And it would take um, multiple con saves over the course of multiple days to be able to uh, resist it, which is probably they're only suffering from like one failure each. And like I said, Trovis, if they don't do anything, would probably recover naturally, but Allie would not and eventually turn into a spore servant, which would be kind of interesting. I would open the gates and turn invisible as the spore servants attack when they can see AK the party. 
Uh, well, I was going to have the, the Dwarger start off invisible. Um, which, I guess... You could, yeah, you could wait until after. I was going to have them just start invisible, and that would give them the surprise round, um, which would allow the Dwerger, the one to release the Spore Servants, um, use his Mind Mastery ability, run back behind the others, and the others pop out invisibility as well, and probably use a surprise round to just huck Javelins with advantage, because they were stealthy, uh, and then everybody's seen, and, you know, they're not going to... It'll just be a fight to the death at this point, because they don't really know what the situation is with uh, Nildar, and they're just protecting this region, so this is just going to be a giant fight. Uh, but I will have the Spore Servants um, following the Dwergar. We'll say, for whatever reason, they've perfected the fact that the Spore Servants are being created as basically loyal zombies. Kind of similar to why you know Nildar had that zombie pet, like they were able to use these mindless uh, creations as kind of the perfect slave labor. Um, and then otherwise it'll just be these kind of back rooms which have some supplies and they will loot some things from it. But this is just, this is, you know, even though they defeated the boss already, this is still a big part of, of clearing this dungeon because this is what the Dwerger are doing. They are creating Spore Servants um, with this area. And if the players are smart, not only will they defeat everybody in here, which will essentially close this place down, but they should try and come up with it to destroy these mushrooms. Now, if they want to harvest some, I would probably allow that with probably some kind of nature check and the proper, you know, supplies. Um, but there would be some checks involved, and if they fail, maybe they'd suffer the consequences and so on. Um, they wouldn't be able to harvest a whole bunch, but maybe some. Um, and I would expect them to try and, you know, nuke it from orbit, set this place on fire, or in some way destroy this entire area and make sure this shit cannot happen anymore. Which would be, I think, the way to go. Ambushes are the perfect gift for the party that didn't finish everyone off. Yeah. I mean, they're still halfway through this dungeon, basically. This is the this is the other half of the fight. And essentially what's happened in this dungeon is instead of going room to room and fighting things, which is always a weird case when you've got, like, a stronghold-style dungeon where basically one combat will alert the rest of the dungeon, which is what's happened here. Instead, we're going to turn this into basically two big fights. I guess technically three because Nildar was a fight also, but the Nildar fight was over pretty quick. And then we had the one big fight, which was alerting... Half of the keep, which were the Dwergar and the Ogre Zombie. And then this is the second half of alerting the keep, which is a bunch of um, Spore Servants and really this mini-boss who has kind of more hit points than Nildar, oddly enough. Uh, hopefully I didn't overtune things too much by making a... What is he, a CR2? Yeah, CR2 Mind Master. Um, I just plan on having him use this Mind Master ability every round. I don't even see him using his actual... Um, regular attacks. I think that'd be kind of amazing. <laughs> Plus, if he uses this mind poison dagger, I think the players would want to try to loot it. Um, and then, yeah, obviously the Spore Servants and Quagoth will be pretty hard. So this could actually be a pretty tough fight. Now, if they manage to rouse Trovis with a medicine check or a healing spell or a potion or something uh, and give him a weapon, then he could join the fight. He is a combatant. Um, but they will need to give him an extra weapon to be able to do that. Which there are some around the area, but nobody's been looting anything. Um, which I think I can quickly just grab that and put it in a stat block. They want to have him be a a fighter, uh, but he would be probably reduced hit points and suffering from several levels of exhaustion. I would imagine probably give him disadvantage. We thought of changing out javelins for crossbows, so they do have the crossbows, and it mentions in the book that. Um, 
they're firing with those crossbows. The problem is they don't have any decks. So they're not actually very good with crossbows. They only have a plus two for their proficiency bonus. Uh, and it only deals its straight average damage, which is 1d10. So technically, the javelin is better if they're within range, which is 30 feet. They can huck those javelins. Um, yeah, it, it always makes more sense, like, in my mind about enemies using... Like, I don't know, hurling javelins is such a goofy concept to me. Um, but because it's strength-based, they can use their strength for it, and it deals more average damage. Damage. Actually, it's the same, isn't it? 1d6 plus 2 is the same as 1d10. The only difference is they have a plus 4 to hit. So I could go either way. I could have them shoot their crossbows uh, or huck javelins, but technically they have a better chance to hit with their javelins. Well, I want them to... Party can stumble in here and look at things. The door or just wait until the party's in the right position before they pull the lever. Yes, that is true. I figure I would have to have the door, the open door here because... Well, I'll tell you what, how we fix this. We put the door up here. That's how we fix it. We're going to fix this right now. Put the door right here. Problem fixed. There you go. Now there's no door there. <laughs> no worries. Uh, we can go ahead and close that behind them, too. All right. So they just came, you know, they opened the door. There were masks. For them out there, they came in, and yeah, they'll set up that ambush with their invisibility. Think about mushroom soup. Isn't he the drunk speaker? When was the last time he had a drink? You know, he's shaking like a drunk on Sunday. Uh, you know what? This is probably going to be some character development for our dearest drunk, uh, Trovis. He will probably swear off drinking completely after this episode. Uh, he will definitely be, yeah, hungover and uh, exhausted, but... This, and Frey did a nice little talk. I mean, there was a nice little role-playing from the players, I feel like, uh, with Trovis. So this will probably be some character development for him, where after this mission he will swear off drinking completely. Especially because this happened basically underneath his nose, underneath his watch, to where he was just... Uh, and he was convalescing is why he was kidnapped, too. He was still tied up from being, you know, drunken and essentially disorderly himself. Um, and that should complete this scenario, which, again, I, I imagine this will take up most of this uh, session. And then Nildar will be gone, basically put in my proverbial DM back pocket to be used at some later date. Most likely not until Sunblight, but technically I could have him appear in the East Haven Ferry because the players do have that information where there are Dwergar in East Haven, apparently the brother of Nildar. Uh, so I could certainly have him pop up there, but uh, I think it'd be more fun to include him in Sunblight. Oh, that's why I'm moving that back, because the map has those ugly white boxes as doors. It looks hideous. I don't know why we can't draw doors on the map. Um, and then they should be able to make it back without any problem. Like I said, the bunker Dwarger is going to be gone, because Nildar will be gone. And we can return to Karakonig and have a nice epilogue there, which Karakonig has probably been the place where they have the most endearing NPCs at this point, uh, which means I'm looking forward to destroying it with the Shardle and Dragon. Uh, that will be the one place that they've met, you know, multiple NPCs and had a lot of nice role-playing scenes with them. And they can get a long rest there because it's worked out really well where essentially they go on one mission, uh, one of these Ten Towns missions, one of these Chapter 1 missions... Uh, for a full rest that lasts seems like three or four sessions 
And then we get a long rest after that, and I think this would be a good time after they complete this one to level up to level four. And now we're getting to the point where we need to start getting out of the chapter one missions and start going towards uh, Sunblight, which, you know, this is the first step in that quest chain. So this will lead to the East Haven Ferry, and then the East Haven Ferry should lead to Sunblight, although I'm kind of hoping that the players don't immediately go to Sunblight for the same reason that I didn't want them to immediately go to the Lost Spire of uh, Netheril. I want to save that stuff for Act 2. Um, well, I guess Sunblight is technically the one that leads to Act 2, isn't it? I'd like to include... <sighs> I just said I want to get them out of Chapter 1, though. Well, here's what we have left. So... We're going to complete the Dwarger Outpost. We're going to rest in Karakonic. We're going to level up to four. Then the players have like a 90% chance they're going to want to go to Kaer Deneval because uh, they, I've, I've clued them in that that's where the castle is, where the innkeeper's son had been uh, essentially recruited to go to this cult, which are the uh, Black Swords. Which I'm going to have to modify a bit of my campaign because I'm not using any of the devil stuff. I think it's just a distraction compared to the Aural Arcane Brotherhood Etheran thing, which I want to keep the focus on. So I still want to run Kier Deneval with the Black Swords. However, that's most likely not going to be... That's going to be more like what they thought Kier Connick was going to be, which is like a lot, a lot of social situations. Kind of like Fort Belwarian was first in Tomb of Annihilation. So it, it's not going to be a dungeon, in other words. I don't think. It may blow up in my face and we turn into a big combat fight, but we'll see. <laughs> Um, and then most likely they would want to go to East Haven, which I should definitely plan at least one road encounter, if not two, because that is a long uh, path. And I mentioned the fact that this kind of northern path, I'm not going to I'm not going to put one between Karakonig and Kierdanaval. That's like barely over an hour, uh, even though it's pretty rough terrain. It's just pretty short. Um, but but from Kierdanaval, for sure, that's that's a pretty long distance. Uh, and we're looking at and by the way, I established you can go about three miles on the trail. So you're looking at two miles, or sorry, two hours, and then you've got another two hours to East Haven. So about a four-hour journey on foot, crossing through the crossroads, getting to East Haven. That's definitely going to be at least one road encounter. And then East Haven will be a big one for us because we can do the uh, the, the Dwergar East Haven Ferry, which I'm probably going to wrap up with the town capers and have it be that they discover the uh, Dwergar in the middle of a, of a plot to steal Shardolin in East Haven, and we can do the burning of Dazan, which will be a big confu- I need to be careful about this because I don't want to confuse the player. Like, wait a minute, we saw Dazan go up that way. How is he dead here? And I'm thinking about having Ravison in East Haven and having her kind of be like a Jafar-type character to the leader of uh, East Haven, who was uh, Speaker Whalen, I believe, and basically be East Haven the one that is going uh, the most... Uh, I, I started a rumor that the players learned about some towns worshipping Aurel, and I want this town to be the one that's like going in that direction. And essentially, Ravison is an Aurel uh, worshipper, and she is turning the government of this town into a, like, we need to bring back the old ways and worship Aurel because she is doing this. Um... And that's part of the reason why they're burning this wizard, and they don't. Tra and because because Arl's missive right now is to hunt down any wizards, because she knows that a wizard basically is responsible for trying to find or uh, for finding Etherin, and that's why Arl 
uh, started all this. So from there, that's going to be a big event for us, and that will give them the Sunblight location. Now what I would like to have happen is, even though I'm probably going to go ahead and give them Sunblight, is I'm going to remind them, uh, for the same reason of Lost Spire, like, you guys, when you, and maybe I'll have them contacted by Bryn Chandler. actually probably a good idea. I'll have them contacted by uh, Bryn Chandler when they make it to East Haven and say, hey, we've fixed up this wagon. It's going to be ready for you, but we do have one more uh, quest we want you to look into um, for us as, as part of your marshals, and that, I think, is going to be the Karkalok quest because I can say, hey, we've got a diplomat from the goblins as kind of a follow-up to the whole goblin thing. So I would like for them to go to Bryn Shander and follow up on that and then do Karkalok. At the same time, they still have that good mead quest. They can still do good mead. In other words, that will complete an entire circle around uh, the Ten Towns region. Is that spending too long in Chapter 1? Maybe. But I, I feel like these are this is all good content and it, it does a good job of uh, endearing Ten Towns to the players, which is important to establish before we make it to Sunblight. Um, and it'll be nice to return to Bryn Shander and kind of, you know, have that scene with Duvessa Shane and explain everything they've done and, you know, really kind of move up in the world, maybe give them some kind of um, extra reward for kind of moving up the faction of of helping people around Ten Towns and becoming more well-known and all that. And then obviously they can make their report of like, hey, fucking, yeah, especially after East Haven, like, hey, we've got, you know, this giant Dwerger outpost and these guys have plans, like, we need to go take that out. And then she can give them the, uh, her blessing to go do that. And then from Bryn Shander, hopefully with the, armed with their new, uh, you know, speedier vehicle that will make um, uh, travel a little bit easier. Not that I'm going to hand wave encounters. I don't plan on doing that. But at least I can go back to being, you know, three miles an hour uh, because I'm just not into doing a whole lot of, uh, I don't want to slow down the action too much with a bunch of travel encounters. Um, and then we can spend, you know, probably half a day. I could move Sunblight around, but I have to be careful with that. I know folks mentioned they can find that map of the Shardland Dragon that, uh, you know, literally has it, I believe, Sunblight on the map. So I have to watch that. Um, but that's kind of what I've got planned for all of our future content up until Sunblight. And I think, let's see, if I go to my character advancement notes, I was, the goal was... They were going to do Sunblight at level 5. So I need to try to pace everything that's left because we're about to hit level 4 uh, after the Dwergar Outpost. So we could do... We had... Let's see. We did Foaming Mugs and Beautiful Mine at level 2. We're going to end up doing Mountain Climb and the Dwergar Outpost at level 3. Level 4 could be two to three i'm okay with making it a little bit longer um the problem is all of these take like three or four sessions for us so i'm, I'm mindful of that uh but black swords technically counts as a mission but isn't you know super demanding and i don't expect it to take much time unless the players really turn it into you know a dungeon crawl which that's gonna be a tough one to plan i'll be honest because i mean fort belwarian like i had planned that one and it just went completely off the rails but my players loved that experience to death so i'm trying to replicate that with the uh, the care and care Denival. But that's going to be one area, technically. East Haven is another. Um, the ferry slash town hall capers could count as a quest, and uh, otherwise it's just kind of a bunch of scenes and talking to people. I don't plan on doing the, the cauldron and the hag and all that stuff. It's just kind of a... I mean, it's not bad content, but as you can tell, I've already got a bunch of content that I, I'm using, and I don't really need to shove any of that 
into uh, tier one, especially. So we have I've got more important like story related stuff to do. In other words, uh, so that would be two at East Haven, and then if we go if we do good mead, uh, that would be three. Shoot, and then I would well that'd be fine if they do good mead. That would be three, and I would level them up to five, and then. They could do Corkaloak, go back to Brinchan and do Corkaloak at level five, which means I would have to scale that one up quite a bit. But that would be fine because then they could do; they'll still be level five, and then they could do uh, Sunblight at five, and that would still be good timing. So even with all this content, I think I'm okay with. I think we're on track to getting to making to doing Sunblight at level five, and then after Sunblight uh, would be a good time to level them to six. Uh, and then I'm tempted, we're gonna have to really do some interesting planning, it'll be some interesting crafting episodes to do the Shardle and Dragon thing, because that is, that's a very short chapter in the book, but could be a very fascinating, like, wartime, crazy series of events, depending on what I want to do, and how the players want to respond, if they want to hit, like, multiple towns, like, ideally, I just come up with a whole bunch of cool scenarios, the players follow this thing around, and just make it a battle of attrition and a real war, and a refugee crisis and everything about that. And I would love that to take up multiple sessions and be a huge deal. But a lot of it depends on what the players do. Um, and then ideally, I think they would even make level 7 after that. So 6 might be kind of a short one. Because, again, I'm I'm speeding things up level-wise. I want to get the players to level like 14 or 15 by the end of this campaign. Instead of level 11 is the ultimate goal. So that's kind of my level notes, and uh, yeah, milestone is just the way to go for right now. I don't; it's so much easier on my end to plan. Uh, it allows me to pace things out how I think they should be paced. I do want to avoid the Tomb of Annihilation pacing, where the players were, you know, level three and four for like twenty sessions or whatever it was. It, it was not great um, because that whole jungle was just tier one. Now we're still going to end up being those low levels for, you know quite a bit um i don't know actually what the stats are right now i can look them up but hopefully not as bad as <laughs> not as bad as uh to annihilation was because that was really crazy let's see so they were level two for five sessions and they were level three uh one two three four five six uh this will be the f- seventh session they'll be level three at and they should be able to complete it and then be level four for probably a little bit a few more sessions so Maybe it'll end up being the same amount of time, but I will say these sessions are shorter than Tomb of Annihilation sessions, so that kind of works against me in a little way, but I think it'll be alright. Uh, what about Ravison and the Ruins where the White Moose is? Will you be doing that, or just go through the Dwergar routes? I mean, again, I, I've i got... What I just went through is pretty much the only content I have planned from Chapter 1. Um, and I would like to do... Uh, in technically in Act 1 as well, because I think following up with the goblins uh, is perfectly fine, and I might not have to actually scale that one, because Chapter 2, I think, is meant for a little bit higher level. I'll have to go back and review that stuff. Um, at some point, while they're running around to all these different towns, I could also add the Dark Duchess and Id, and, and Id Ascendant quests. Um, in terms of hero locations you can go. In fact, when the players get near Sunblight, I will probably have um, that... Uh, the thing that Celeste has, like, activate and pull her towards a different area, which would be the Ascendant quest. So that could be a, a, a situation where the players say, uh, well, we want to go to Sunblight, we've got this side quest, let's go do this first. So they could end up doing it Ascendant before, 
uh, Sunblight, or they could do it after, although then you've got the dragon taking off after, so that makes it a little bit interesting for a timing aspect. But I did tease that Descendant is... Uh, I don't know if I gave her knowledge of this. I don't think I gave her knowledge of this circle, so I could move it around a little bit. That it crashed into the mountain somewhere. But that would be kind of their best timing to handle that one. Um, in terms of using that literal dungeon, which is... What is that one called? Or no, it's in chapter one, isn't it? That's just called the White Moose. Um, I could in the future. Uh, it has to be near some trees, because i got some trees on there. Um, a little sundial map. It's kind of interesting, kind of a more of a puzzly dungeon. I would probably redo a lot of it. Um, I don't think I would do the Moose thing. Um... Yeah, like I said, I think I'm more interested in having Ravison be a, a political villain and somebody who follows Aurel um, and have her be protected by the East Haven government, make that a thing, but then she's got all of these agents out in the field and I would like her to have a meeting with the players um, and really just have the players start learning all these different factions because in Care Denival, they're going to learn essentially what's happening is these are people that have been finding Shardalyn and... Um, I don't know if I want it organized by Avarice and have her be the literal leader or have her just having found this group who already had leadership and maybe she's been taking it over. Because I think I established the fact that this about a month ago, the Arcane Brotherhood went their separate ways and started doing these things. Dizon, you know, went and hired the Adventuring Party and, and went after the Lost Spire of Netheril. Uh, Valen's just wanted to track down Ness Lantamir. Um, and Avarice has... Uh, I guess found this cult of the black swords, but I'm not using the Levistus. I'm not using the devil angle at all. It's just going to be purely, they found Shardalyn. Shardalyn has some magical properties that they're exploring. What I would like to introduce is the fact that Shardalyn is kryptonite to Oral. Uh, and her minions. Shardalyn is dangerous. As I teased, um, Last week, I believe, I went over what the Shardalyn weapons were and the content, which um, uh, Edmund and Frey, I believe, looted. What am I looking for? Uh, magic items, yeah. Um, so they're they're kind of cursed in a way, although they do have magical properties. So all the Shardalyn stuff is risky, but I want to make it so any kind of... For Aurel herself and any of her minions, like Cold Light Walkers, the Shardalyn maybe does like double damage or something. I'm going to determine the actual rules behind it. But I thought that'd be cool in the same way that Kryptonite weakens Superman, literally, because she is originally from uh, Aetherin. And because of the magical properties there, uh, it affects her in a, in a different way than most enemies, and thus her minions. So I thought that'd be a kind of an interesting thing. And perhaps Avarice has discovered this. Maybe they captured a Cold Light Walker or something crazy. And uh, there's a scene where she like brings out you know, this creepy creature, and she shows, okay, let's try to stab it with a dagger, and you do, and it, the, the whole thing just turns to, like, frost and melts away, and then she takes a Shardalyn dagger and stabs it, and that actually does, like, severe damage to it. I think it would be a really cool, creepy thing. So it'd be an interesting tease that, like, you know, this faction isn't a good-aligned faction, but they are aligned against Aurel specifically, which could be an interesting thing for the players to wrap their heads around, because they're you know, starting to learn that maybe Aurel's behind all this. And then in East Haven, they're going to meet the other faction, which is Ravison is, is an Aurelite. Like she is, you know, trying to turn this government into worshiping Aurel and having her be in charge and hunting down wizards. And they've just met one of the wizards of Avarice in Caradeneval. So there's going to be a lot of big time story stuff um, that I'm introducing. Basically all in a row here. You know, we did kind of Mountain Climb, Tourmaline, Foamy Mugs. Those are all little nice quests. But Kerr Conig 
with the Dwerger outpost was a huge story thing where you learn about this Dwerger threat. Um, in Caer Deneval, you're going to learn about what I just explained, which is the Chardelin and this cult. Avarice, by the way, has a very important tie-in to my players' player secrets. Uh, Edmund knows about Chardelin, and I, I put that he was the hunted. I haven't done a good job with this yet, but I think I'm going to start introducing this, that maybe he is being... Um, he will be hunted by uh, possibly even this cult because he's got Chardelin and knowledge about it. And then... <laughs> Valravan reports to Avarice. He is a spy for Avarice. So that's how I'm going to introduce the Care Deneval Black Swords quest is uh, via when probably when they get back from the outpost and, and Chris has mentioned to me that he's been, you know, basically get, they, they've got sending stones and he's been giving her, uh, feeding her the information of all the stuff they've been doing. And then they will get an invitation, Valravan will get an invitation to bring his party to the Care at Care Deneval and say, you know, I, I, w- I want to meet with you and, and show you something. And that will be basically what she's showing is the fact that the Chardelin can be weaponized against Aurel. Um, and that they want to, like, uh, basically confiscate their Chardelin and possibly, like, arrest Edmund, maybe, for knowing this. Like, I want to create some kind of interesting... I don't want to force a comment encounter on the players, but create some interesting social situations that the players have to uh, deal with the most. I always get to the end of these now. Sorry, I even start these sessions late because of putting the baby down. I changed the moose into a wendigo. No Disney critters. You know, I said originally I wasn't going to use the talking animal thing, and I've actually kind of had fun with it by using those as minions of Ravison, who is herself a minion of Oral, and trying to gather information. Uh, Originally, it was a low-level combat encounter, and then it was just an information-gathering thing. Um, That may be as far as I go versus just having those animals spy on the players. And and I made it very menacing. Like these were not goofy, like chatty, you know, things like the Loch Ness monster is a oh, it's a sentient monster. It wants to just hang out with the players. Like none of that. They're very creepy. They've got blue eyes, and they want to get information from the players. So I did kind of play around a little bit with the talking animal thing, but I'm also not using any of those quests for sure. I have the Shardolin basically create a buffer from Arl in her undead. I don't know if I don't care why they were overrun. But yeah, I remember you're doing the undead thing. You know, I didn't want to. That, that's a cool idea. Um, but I wanted to stay far away from doing any kind of undead stuff because uh, we ran to annihilation and it was all about you know, zombies and undead and the death curse and all that. So if I hadn't have done that, I, I really liked that idea of doing the whole like White Walker like apocalypse in the snow thing. But uh, for the purposes of this campaign, given that we came off of Tomb Annihilation not too long ago, I wanted to avoid all the undead stuff. Started a 5B podcast, my group. Awesome, congratulations. Oral's going to take over East Haven. What will they do with the Chardelin figurehead mask? Um, keep in mind, Ravison is an Aural light, but um, I don't know how much direct connection she actually has with Aural. Aural is probably... Aural is mostly interested in finding out information right now like she maybe she is i mean she is a goddess she's got her powers but she's using her powers to lock this entire region down in you know permanite and then sending her agents out to try to find who are these fucking wizards who are digging too deep and finding information about etherin and that's what she's worried about and you know one of her acolytes is ravison who is decided to infiltrate one of the biggest governments um one of the biggest cities in 10 towns and use that as a staging operation for, you know, hunting down these wizards and making sure nobody can, you know, stay here. That's a big source of information for them. So, 
Um, I don't know if they're um, aware of the Shardlin figurehead or... Uh, I guess it is in the town hall, isn't it? So I do have to... I mean, that's a good point. I need to come up with that. Like, why? Because Aura would obviously be very upset about this. Um, maybe it's either hidden away or it's, it's like, on the agenda to uh, get rid of this thing, essentially, because Aura would be very leery about Shardlin. Uh, and presumably, Ravison would maybe know about the effects of... Shardlin, uh, maybe. I want the Shardlin thing is kind of semi-recent in this campaign. I feel like, at least in my campaign, that, that people are just starting to discover it. You know, in the last couple uh, weeks, maybe it's starting to be dug up more. Basically, as the Dwerger have been mining and finding the Shardlin and using it to build uh, their dragon, it's been starting to uh, come up more often. And you know, all of this I've been talking about. Keep in mind, the players are still. You know, had expressed interest in going to the Dwarven Valley and following up on that, and I had all this other content plan where I didn't really plan on that. Now, if they end up wanting to do this in Act Two after, uh, which could be an interesting follow up actually, if if the dragon does destroy much of Ten Towns, and then suddenly we have to worry about rebuilding and resupplying Ten Towns, that would be an interesting thing. One of them could be, hey, go to the Goliaths and do this whole side quest to help you know bring the Goliaths in and, and help a rebuilding effort and. You know, resupplying and all that, and go to the the dwarves in the Dwarven Valley. And then when they go to the Dwarven Valley, then you can do the whole first Resident Evil movie where you go down and realize that, like, everybody's fucked and uh, it's it's aliens, essentially, with, with the Shardland Berserkers, like, of dwarves running around, which I think would be a pretty cool thing to add and, and a way to lengthen that second act a little bit and hopefully learn more information about where Oral is and all that. Uh, I think that is going to do it. Uh, I think we've been going for over an hour already. I'm probably gonna have to move these start times to straight up 11 o'clock my time. Uh, I've been doing them later and later, but maybe schedule is getting later and later. So, uh, probably in the future, look for the start time for crafting to be more at 11 versus 10.30 or what I tried to do today, which was, uh, 10.45. <laughs> so thank you for, uh, joining me for this week's Crafting Icewind Dale. If you enjoy the content, please check out patreon.com slash Rogue Watson, shouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Time Dancer, Manuel, Wizard Princess, Christopher Thomas, Captain Mike, Adam, Aiden, Instant Loser, Roger, Stan, Nathan, Alex, and Alexander, and Gold Patrons, RPG Papercrafts, Charming Grenade, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Mar oh, and Chad, sorry. RPG Papercrafts, Charming Grenade, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marco Stade, Vicente, Vicento, Gilberto, Dead Lizard Lounge, Sam, Ross, Lumpy, Spuds, Drone, Fatboy, 619, Sclenic, Funny McButterpants, Blood Angel, Boros, Baboon, Baboon, Nathan, and Fast Like a Tortoise. I can almost do that flawlessly, but easily have my hiccups. Uh, thank you all so much for your support. We'll see you tomorrow for. D and D. Baby aggro, it's a part of life. <laughs>